Good morning, church. Two observations about our announcement videos today. One is when did Malia Fortenberry turn into a young woman? She was just a kid yesterday. Wow, that happened fast. And two is after watching this video with three of our young leaders here, please pray for the future of our church. Um, no, they're good guys. We're excited about the men's retreat. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to have a together service uh, that Sunday to culminate that. So it's going to be fantastic. We're super excited about it. Welcome to the Fellowship Center, to the live stream audience. Uh, many of the live streamers, uh, a few couples came down to our marriage retreat uh, last weekend up at Lake DeGray, which was fantastic. Almost 50 couples gathered together to refresh and renew our marriage, to look at a vision statement for what we want our marriages to be. Uh, a lot of marriages were blessed. Some in crisis, of course, uh, came there but left in a better place. And I know we had a couple there from that are part of our live stream from Minnesota, from Michigan, North Carolina, Florida, North Carolina. Uh, what a blessing. Our church now is like Johnny Cash. We're everywhere, right? We're everywhere, man, uh, which is a great blessing. And, and I can relate to Johnny Cash because within the last 10 days, I've been to Arkansas. I've been to Illinois, back to Arkansas, to West Monroe, to Texas, to Washington State, to Idaho, and as of last night, back to West Monroe, and Dorothy is right there is no place like home. Amen? Amen? All right. Glad to be here today. So one of my favorite scripture readers, I love them all, but one of my favorites is Ethne Tonages. Come on up, Ethne. I can see from Ethne's attire, she's still looking forward to our future at Stanley Steamer. You can see that on the camera. She now is working the shirt and the hat, which is quite awesome. So I like a girl that knows where she's going, right? That's pretty awesome. So she's going to read our scripture today. Don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everybody who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we a imperishable crown. Amen. How about that? Pretty awesome. Thank you, Ethan. Sure you can. And I would also like to thank Nana for being very supportive today. Thank you, Nana. I don't know who that is, but we're excited that she's supportive today. I'm sitting that's Grandma, right? All right, excellent. Thank you, Ethne. Um, well, we're so blessed here uh, with uh, Future Generation. And that's really what this church is all about, right? Having a DNA of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. But then going forward generation to generation to generation. This last week, we had uh, many of our members and people connected to our members that went on to be with the Lord. And those moments would be moments of tragedy and sadness but in a church family that understands heaven and has embraced the gospel of Christ, we view those as celebrations, right? I mean, it's like Paul said, if I had a choice, I'd rather just go home. But instead, I'm going to stay here for you. And so those of us who are still here, our job is to make sure as many people as possible know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the mission of our church. Now, today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and there's a lot to get to, so we're going to jump right in here. Because there's a lot going on. Last week, Mike talked about a lifestyle of love over liberty. And that really is the point as he leads into these chapters in 8, 9, and 10. 
because there's this idea that just because you can do something doesn't mean you need to do that. And that's kind of the idea of what we do in Christianity. And so Paul's going to continue that in chapter 9. So I'm going to start out just by reading what he says in these first few verses. He says in verse 1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, and I'll just stop here to say, Paul's definitely got some problems with how people are identifying him, because it's going to come up again and again as an apostle. He says, surely I'm an apostle to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Remember, Paul spent a year and a half with this church, more time than any of the other churches that he planted on all those missionary journeys. So he knows these people and they should know him. But some of their behaviors that we've been talking about don't look like they were listening to him. Verse three, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, meaning Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? So I'm going to pause here because that's three times. Anytime you see somebody repeat themselves three times, take note in the Bible. He says, I have the right to something. I have the right to be hosted, to be fed by those in the church. I have the right to be married and have my wife taken care of by the church. And I have the right to earn my living from the church and not to have to work outside of that. Three times he says this. Then he's going to have a little defense of what it means to support someone in the church. He says in verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? So he's going to go back and quote the law. For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about the oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yet this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right, there's number four. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? So he starts out with this idea that a kingdom church worker deserves, has the right to be supported by that church. Now, you all know, I've been here a long time. The first 25 years that I was here, which included me as a student, as an intern, as a staff member, this church financially supported Lisa and I and my family. And I'll just tell you right now, if I hadn't told you lately, I appreciate every bit of that support. You helped us live. We weren't always the best with the finances, but you were there for us. Thank you, church, for 25 years of support. 
as God has seen fit in his wisdom, I now am like Paul was in this situation for the last nine years. I have not received support from this church financially. So I went from supported to supporter. And you know why I support this church financially and our missions and everything we do around the world? Because we're doing what God called us to do. Because God has blessed me immensely. And in those blessings, he says, I want you to give and to be a part of this forever family. Part of being in a family is that everybody is part of that family. And part of that is the financial support of it. I just want to encourage you in that. You did most of you here and part of our church family and watching on live stream. You didn't have you weren't like me. You didn't have all those years of receiving that and then have the opportunity to to give back and to pay forward what you gave me. But you're still a part of this church family. Those of you that are part of our live stream family, I talked to you last week at the retreat. You are part of this family, which means I encourage you today because the people that work here have the right to be supported. And we do. And I've heard people say, well, you know, we're got too many people. These people work for the church. I wish it was all volunteer. You need to listen to what Paul is saying. It is our responsibility. And I praise God for everyone who works for the church. But, Paul says, we did not use this right. So he said, even though I had the right to all those things, I decided that I would not use that right. On the contrary, he says, this is in verse 12, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? So this goes all the way back under the Old Testament law. Those that served, served, and then they were paid by the temple, the people that came in. This has been all the way back. Those who serve at the altar, share in what is offered at the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So please don't tell me it's not biblical for people to be supported while they're doing the work. Jesus said it himself. When he sent out the 72 in Luke 10, he said, when you go in, you receive that. A worker deserves his wages. Therefore, he said, you are sanctioned to support those in the church. Stay in that house, he said, when you eat and when you drink. But, Paul says in verse 15, I have not used any of these rights. That's the second time. And I am not writing this in hope that you will do such things for me. So what he's saying is, I'm not telling you all this so that now you're going to start paying me. And then he says something I find fascinating. I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. That's a strong statement. I would rather die than get paid by you. In other words, he's serious about this. So whatever is unique about this church, because by the way, Paul received support from other churches. He received support from the Philippian church, from the church of Antioch. So it's not like he's just got this thing, I won't take any money. But he didn't want to take any of the Corinthians' money. And there were reasons why. He says in verse 16, For when I preach the gospel... I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. So he says, even though I'm boasting about it, I really shouldn't because I have to do this anyway. And I got news for you. I'm the same way. I mean, working for the church, I feel like the forever family is like the mafia. You can't get out, right? 
I mean, you know, in the mafia, they say you're a made man. Where in the church, we're, I'm a remade man, right? It, really, that's what I am. That's right. That's deserving. And every time I try to get out, y'all just pull me back in. But I love it. What else would I be doing? I figured out a few years into this, this is what I'm best at. This is what God has called me to do. Now, I get to do it everywhere. I'm in Idaho. I'm in Washington. I'm in these states. I'm talking to these people. And look, they need us. Lisa and I keep parachuting in behind enemy lines, these blue states. And we're like, Lord, help you, right? But we're finding people that love the Lord. They're everywhere. And they need encouragement. Woe to me, he said, if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. In other words, what he's saying is the gospel itself is worthy. And that's the way I feel. Man, to see a new soul born, reborn in Christ, it's worth everything. What then is my reward? Just this. That in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And here's number three. So not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So three times he said, I have the right. Three times he said, but I'm not going to use it. I'm doing this for the gospel. Now, a couple of observations. One is, I think this is a continuation of what Mike was talking about last week. It's an illustration of giving up your rights. Remember, because that's what Mike talked about. I mean, giving up our liberties. In fact, the way I put it is that Paul is liberating his liberties in this section. He's saying, you know, I have the right, but I'm not going to do it. So that's the same thing he was telling this church to do. Just because you have the right doesn't mean you need to do it. And that's where he is. The second thing is he's defending his claim to be an apostle of Christ. Apparently, there was something going on in Corinth about people not wanting to embrace Paul as an apostle. So he's also dealing with that. But then the third thing may be the most important. Paul is making a point that your liberty, your freedom, is yours to give, not for others to take. And this is big. Because what you see in churches inside the kingdom of God, but also you see in our culture, in civil liberties, are entities that say, you have liberty, and I'm going to take that. No. If anything's clear from this text, it's that liberty is for yours to give, not for others to take. We're seeing this upside-down situation occurring country after country, including our own, about people trying to take away your liberty. We make a decision. I give up a lot of liberty so that the gospel can go and I can communicate with people. But the government can't take that. That's what, according to our founders, was given to us by God, was the right to be free as a person. God, from the very beginning in Genesis, says, you're, you're to choose me or to choose to not follow me. From the very beginning, it was up to us. He didn't make us robots that had to choose him. And that liberty goes on to this day. You know, you join the army and you say, well, I give up many of those liberties. Many of you in the uh, veterans that are here, you know what I'm talking about, right? We talk about uh, vaccine mandates. Man, when you join the army from every veteran I've talked to, they would put you in a line. You walk through and they're jabbing stuff in both arms as you're going by. 
You talk about a mandate, and you don't even know what you're getting half the time. But when you signed the dotted line to defend the Constitution of our country, you were saying, you know, I'm going to give up some of my rights. And we do that every day. But they're ours to give, not someone else's to take. And that's very important. Same thing happens in churches. Our job as elders and leaders are not to run your lives. We're to show you the best possible way to support you, to love you, to shepherd you, and say, it's up to you to decide whether you want to do the right thing or not do the right thing. Not for us to tell you. A lot of church leaders have missed that. Jim McGuigan says in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, a great line, to ask a man to forfeit his liberty is to assure him that he really does have liberty. You get the point? And we see it all over the world. My heart breaks from what I'm seeing to our neighbors to the north, Australia. You know, we're all children of the crown. I think America is the most impetuous child of all because we're saying no. Many of us are saying no. I look at these other countries and it makes me sad to see people's liberties trampled. A lot of people would give those rights, do a lot of things, but don't try to take them. I don't want to be that way. And I think that's an important point in this text. Second thing, he's not just all in on liberating his liberties, but he's also all in to all men and women. I love this. Let's go back to the text in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. See what he's saying? I don't belong to anybody. Nobody can tell me what to do, but I've decided that I'm going to serve all people. Because I love the Lord and I want to share the gospel to win as many as possible to the Jews. I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And that wasn't that hard, to be honest. Paul comes out of Jewish history and heritage. It was kind of easy for him to slip back into that mode, but he did it to win them to those under the law. I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. He's just reminded we're not putting ourselves back under law. So as to win those under the law to those not having the law, that would be everybody else, the Gentiles. I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, which has already been mentioned here today. What is that? Love God, love your neighbor. That is, according to James, the royal law that goes forward. People say, well, do you obey the law? Yep. Love God, love my neighbor. That pretty much covers the whole lifestyle, right? If I do those two things in that order, I'm going to do exactly what God has called me to do. So as to win those not having law. Then he says something interesting, because I get the Jew and Gentile. That's all over the New Testament. But he says something here that you don't see anywhere else. He says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Now, that's very counterintuitive for most of us, because most of us, who have survived something, who have gained strength from something, the last thing we want to do is talk about weakness, right? But when you start thinking about it, isn't that what we do in every opportunity when we share the testimony of what God has done in your life? You know, I stand before groups all the time, and I talk about some of the worst times in my life when I was the worst person alive. 
And I always say, do you think I want to, I'm not excited about talking about this, but the reason I am is because I know in this audience, maybe of young people, there's someone who is hopeless and says, I need to know if I can survive this or not. So you know what I do? To the weak, I become weak and talk about my weakest days because God triumphed. At least I do it all the time. We did it this past week when we were up in Idaho. We shared a story of difficult times and hard times and weak times. Why do you do that? Why do you do that, Al? Why do you do that, Lisa? Because we want people who are struggling to know you can get out of this. You can be delivered in Christ. It can happen. This group in Idaho was so inspiring. You know, they're in the, the middle of nowhere. It was two hours of, you know, about 20 farmhouses when I was driving to this place we were going. And I get there and there's, there's almost a thousand people at this event to support this pregnancy center. And they had bought a mobile unit and they named the mobile unit Fern. So Fern was in the back of this room in a beautiful uh, RV or whatever it was that they're going to take out all over Idaho and Washington. You know why? Because they're going to go places to help the weak. Most of young women who are facing a terrible decision. And they're going to go and say, here we are to share with you so that all might know who Jesus is. So I heard four testimonies that night other than what Lisa and I shared. And they all had their babies with them, ranging in ages from a newborn up to a five-year-old boy. Babies who have been saved because of the work of this group. That's what Paul is talking about in this text. So if you're at CR or you're re-engaged or you're here at WFR and someone shares what God has done in their life, that is the weak becoming weak so that we will know what and who and what Jesus is. That's what he's talking about here. And I love that he gives us not only the right, but the charge to tell our stories. I spoke with a group of preachers recently and I told them, I said, look, you know what? A good testimony, a lot of times will beat a good sermon. And I like to preach, but I realize that what God does in someone's life can touch people in a unique way. And you never get tired of it. We were at the marriage retreat and people were sharing both those host couples and some of us have been through some major things and new couples to the marriage retreat, sharing what God has done in their lives. That never gets old because God is sovereign and great and he continues to work in people's lives. Changed lives encourage changed lives. I've become all things to all people, Paul said, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I love that Jesus was so compassionate, right? He had sympathy. He looked at the situation, but then he also had empathy. He didn't just look at it and say, oh, that's so sad. He did something. I mean, that's why he came here, right? He looked at us and said, they can't help themselves. So there was a plan made even before he created us that I'm going to go there to save them. John 3, 16 and 17, most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He did something. He sent his son and not to condemn the world, but to save the world. We do a fine job of condemning ourselves. He didn't come here for that. He came here to offer us hope. The ultimate winner of souls. 
The last thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, this is a pretty famous passage. Paul is all in to win. And he has this, uh, this last little bit, and there's no doubt it had something to do with the fact that they had these games that were simpler, similar to the Olympic Games that were just 10 miles away. In fact, all these tents that he was building and Priscilla and Keller were building were for these games. And if, in our modern vernacular, it's sort of like the world championships. It's the off years of the Olympics. That's these games, the Isthmus games, Isthmus I just realized you have to have a lisp to pronounce isthmus, right? Isthmus. Say that all day. Do, he says in verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. First thing he says, you got to run to win. Now, he's not necessarily saying it's like the games where there's only one winner. Because this is like the marathon where everybody's running just to finish, right? Last October, Lisa and I happened to be in Boston when they had rescheduled the Boston Marathon. So we're seeing people all over the city as we're touring and doing the things we were doing. They're coming in, they all have the little blankets on, and they got the little medal that they finished, and people are clapping every time they would walk into a restaurant. It was all about finishing. And there was some Ghanaian or Ethiopian or somebody that actually won the race, but nobody knew who that was. Nobody. The people were being lauded for finishing the race. And in fact, when they would finish, they would wait for others to run through and they would cheer for them. Yeah, you finished the race. 26 miles in Boston. That's what he's talking about here. We're not competing with each other. We're cheering one another on to finish the race. But you have to be in the race. He says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. At these Isthmus games, they would get one of these little leafy, it was made out of celery or pine needles. You talk about not last. You ever check the celery in the bottom of your fridge after it's been in there about a week? Not very good for the old hat. Or seen pine needles in your yard? I mean, they go from green to brown pretty quick. So what he's saying is, that's not going to last. You look at it for a while, and then it just dries up and blows away. But we do it, he said, to get a crown that will last forever. Now there's a crown. A crown of glory. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Get rid of your celery and your pine needles. We got something that will last forever. The crown of glory. That's why we run the race. That's why we train. That's what this is. This is training. You're here to be challenged by the word of God. All the things you do is to train you so that as you go, you will finish the race. We've had some this last week, as I mentioned, several that finished the race. And we said those words, man, we're going to see you again. This isn't goodbye. This is, we'll see you in a while. That's why we do what we do. He closes with this. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. You ever seen somebody running aimlessly? He says, I do not run like a man beating the air. The newer version says box, box. I don't not box, but trust me, I'm watching Stone get in shape. You beat the air like he's doing it. You get in pretty good shape. 
He's talking about this kind of running. Uh, you ever seen that kind of running? Just panic, running around. What are we going to do? I don't know. It's just terrible. That's the beating of the air. I don't know. I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I love the old word for that. I buff it. I, for years, I misunderstood. I thought it said buffet. That's why I look like I do now. <laughs> Buffeted my body daily. Buff it. In other words, don't let the physical control you. Paul would say in Philippians 3.19, their destiny is destruction if your God is your stomach and your glory is in your shame and your, your heart is set on earthly things. The desires of humanity and our bodies. Don't let that be what leads you. Instead, he said, be like Galatians 5, live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God leading us into all good things. That's how we want to live as we run the race. So how do we wrap this up? What does it mean to us? We have some adversaries. We do have competitors, but they're not each other. We're cheering one another on. But we do have adversaries. One... The biggest one is what Paul was just talking about is yourself. You're your greatest adversary in the race. I mean, you get distracted. You start thinking about earthly things rather than heavenly things. You start thinking something is so important. You forget that we're challenged to love the Lord, our God, with all our what heart, soul, mind and strength. And if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. So that tells me if I keep loving the Lord with everything I got, and I stay humble, I'm going to stay on the right path. That defeats all those desires of myself. The other thing you have that's an adversary is your peers, those that you listen to, you're around, your Facebook friends, whoever that you're getting information and affirmation from. Let me just tell you something, folks. If you surround yourself with people who are bitter and jealous and angry, you're either going to influence them for better, or they're going to influence you for the worse. That's just all it is to it. You live in a cesspool, you will wind up smelling like a cesspool. That's what happens. Your peers matter. Most of the people I know that come to Christ have to leave the group they were with before they got there, at least for a while. And then you may be able to go back and influence for good. There may be some relationships in your life you need to take a hard look at because they're not helping you to win the race. Instead, they're distracting you from what's good and what's right and what's holy. Now, I don't know. You're going to have to make the assessment. But trust me, they're there. And you know they're there. And it hurts your attitude. The last one, the last adversary, is your true enemy, the evil one. He doesn't want you to finish the race. He wants you to have the same judgment that's awaiting him. He's already under judgment. He's done. So his job is to get as many as possible to follow him. And he has forces in the spiritual and heavenly realms that are helping him. He's powerful. There's no doubt about it. But let me just tell you something today. He's not more powerful than God. He is not immortal. He is not forever. He was created. He will be destroyed. If you follow him, it is to your detriment. And you will not finish this race and receive that prize. And that's what we want more than anything else. Paul said, I gave up all my rights 
so that men and women would know that good news. And that's what we put forward today is the good news of Jesus. If you've never obeyed it, if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never taken that first step of faith, today is the day to do it. If you've been distracted, I get it. This is the long race. I mean, sometimes we're wandering around, we're beating the air, where am I at, what am I doing? You can come back. We got the thing all laid out. It's charted. It's ready. Just get back in the training. Just like me, start a new diet. Instead, start your walk back up in Christ. Today is the day. If you have a need, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing. The cross is all the comfort.